All right. Does anybody think we have a different spot? Because what I remember, because uh, this was, what, three weeks ago, last time we were able to have it? That we, that's what I have. Because I, I remember going over the gifts listed, um, and I think that's where we had stopped. Because last week we didn't have the power. The week before was Unity Fest. So it's, we're three weeks removed from last time. So, all right. So I'm glad we got the right spot. Um, <clears throat> now, I, I have my own copy of my notes that we were all handed out. Uh, Pastor John, sometimes he has his own with a little bit more, um, but I'm just going to be going off the same thing that you guys have. Um, but just to kind of recap what we were looking at in Romans chapter 12, uh, really we started on it and spent a lot of time uh, just looking at the first couple of verses and where Paul's beseeching us uh, to submit ourselves as a living sacrifice, right? And we even talked about how Paul, in his position of authority that he had, he could have very easily and justly commanded us to present ourselves as a living sacrifice. But he, he says, I beseech you. He, he's really pleading to us um, that we would present our bodies as a living sacrifice. And we, we went through talking about what that means, um, and then we moved on to our relationship with other believers and what that looks like. Um, we went through honest evaluation, faithful cooperation. We really kind of broke it down um, as to what our relationship amongst each other should look like. And then we took a little bit of time looking at the gifts that are listed here, um, the, all the different gifts that we as followers of Christ have been given. We're all gifted in different areas, um, but all the different areas that we've been, we've been gifted in, our, our talents and our abilities, are all for the same common purpose, and that's to, to spread the gospel uh, to the world around us. And so um, it's really kind of cool when you think about all these different gifts that we look at and we see here and all the different kinds of people that God can use all these different abilities, all these different people, no matter where they come from um, or what kind of background that they have, all to advance his gospel, right? We even see as we go throughout the entire Bible, there's plenty of examples of people where we as humans, if we're looking at, we say, this person is probably not the, the most ideal person for this situation, right? You even think of Samuel when he's going to anoint David. He doesn't know he's anointing David, but he goes pretty much through all of Jesse's sons before he finally gets to David. Uh, and as he's going along, he's saying, okay, this guy's got to be it. This guy looks like he's going to be a king. Um, but he, again, again, he was looking through his own eyes. Or we think of how God was able to use Rahab, uh, not only... Uh, in the story that we read about, but also she's in the lineage of Jesus. She's in the genealogy of Jesus. So uh, it doesn't matter what, what we're like, where we come from, uh, God's able to use us. And it's the same thing with these gifts that we see here in Romans 12, uh, that God's gifted us in different areas um, so that we can all be part of the body of Christ and uh, that we can all help advance the gospel. So tonight we're going to go through the rest of uh, the verses here in Romans 12. Uh, we're going to finish it up starting in verse 9. Uh, and again, as we see there, we're going to be talking about loving participation. So loving participation. Now we have verses 9 through 16. We have eight verses there. So I'm going to go ahead and just split that up into two sets of four. So if I can get a couple volunteers to read in that passage there. So it'll be verses 9 through 12 and 13 through 16. Renee has 9 through 12. And who wants? All right. And Julie. All right, so go ahead and read that once you have it, starting in verse 9. Yeah, 9 through 12.
All right, so as we go along here in the notes, we first see that, that quote there by Warren Wiersbe. It says, love is the circulatory system for the body of Christ. So that idea of a circulatory system, that's saying that it, it, it goes both ways. It's not just supposed to be coming in just to me. Now, I, I do need that encouragement. I do need that love coming into me from the body of Christ, but I'm also supposed to be sending it out. It's a circulatory system for the body of Christ. And especially when you think about it in context with the gifts that are listed and how we talked about how everybody has their own different gifts that, they're, that they've been gifted, uh, their abilities that they have to be able to advance the gospel and be a part of the body of Christ. Now you think of it within this circulatory system of love. And so as we're doing this, we're all doing our own individual tasks based on how we've been gifted, and we're all loving one another, and it's really just a perfectly working machine, if you want to think of it that way. And if, if we're all a part of this different this machine, and if, if one of us is kind of uh, not really doing our part, it makes it a little bit difficult, if there's, especially if there's not love there. If there's not love going between the bodies, the people or the parts of the body of Christ, now you have friction. And when you get friction, understand this idea of love going along with all these different gifts. So as we see there, it says, Paul reminds the church, as he does so famously in 1 Corinthians 13, that no matter the gift, without love, it is useless. So uh, 1 Corinthians 13, that's, that's one of the, the more famous passages on love. It's, you know, mentioned in at a lot of different weddings, talking about uh, love there. And really, he's saying that you can have all these different gifts. You go back up and look in the notes there or look in the chapter here, and we see all these different gifts. And you can have that gift, and, if, and you could even be trying to use that gift. But if you're not doing it out of love, and maybe you're doing it, uh, say, for instance, the idea of teaching, okay? And you're using this gift for teaching. You've been gifted in that area. You have that ability. Uh, but you're not really doing it for the purpose that God's given it to you for. Maybe you're doing it because you're trying to absorb as much attention as possible, and you're pointing all the attention and focus to yourself as opposed to using your ability to teach to point others to God. So it's important to remember that, yes, uh, all these different gifts are great, and they're all a part of the body of Christ, and they all need to work together. But if, not, if it's not done with love towards the people that we're using our gifts with or towards the the body of Christ around us that is also doing, using their gifts. If it's not done with love, it's, it's really kind of pointless, kind of useless. You're not going to be able to get much done because if you think, what is the absence of, of love? If I'm not showing love to you as the body of Christ, what might be a root reason for that? What might make me want to not show love in those areas? As if, if, if I'm trying to use my gift, yeah, if I'm not using my gift uh, from a standpoint of love and maybe, um, like, I, the, like I said with the teaching, just getting up there so that I get to be in front of people so everyone's looking at me, if I'm doing that as opposed to uh, doing it from a standpoint of love, what might be the reason for that? Or one of the reasons, I mean, it's just, Yeah. What, what could be going on in my mind where that's kind of my motivating factor? Insecurity. Selfishness, insecurity, pride, all these different things. And, and if selfishness is my driving force behind getting up and teaching in front of people, the attention's coming on me. In, insecurities, the attention's coming on me. So it's starting with my own focus on myself, and now I'm using my gift 
putting myself in front of people and drawing their attention to myself as well and not being able to point their attention to God. So if, if we're doing this without love, then we're really not doing what we need to be doing. Think about uh, when we read in the Bible that the person gets to heaven and God says, I never knew you. He said, I did all these great things, these amazing things for you. I served you. And he's basically saying, you could have been doing all those things, but you never knew me. I never knew you. So what is our, our, our driving force? Um, and really, what is salvation if it's not love? The gift of salvation is God showing his love for us so much that he sent his son to die for us. And so when we accept that gift of salvation, we're accepting that love. And then we're then to supposed to take that love and, and share it with others. And that love should motivate us more than anything else can motivate us to say, I've experienced this love. I've experienced this great change in my life. That should excite us to want to share that with other people. Okay, I've, heard, I've read and heard uh, different atheists saying that, uh, one of their biggest gripes with Christians is that you believe this. You believe that if I don't accept this gift of salvation, I'm going to spend eternity in a place called hell. But you're not doing absolutely everything that you can to share that with me and make sure that I understand that fact. And it makes a great point, right? This, this person who doesn't even believe in God is saying that if I believe this and I knew this, I would do everything that I could to share this with everybody. And somehow us, the ones who've received that gift and understand what that gift is, we don't have that mentality. We kind of just kind of keep it to ourselves. So when we're doing these things, when we're using our gifts that God's given us, we need to be doing it with love because we're supposed to be taking the love we've received and, and share it with others. So uh, moving on to uh, really the rest of the chapter, uh, we're going to read verses 17 through 21. Um, and does anybody want to volunteer to read that? 17 through 21, about six verses there, or five verses. All right, go ahead. First of all, whenever I uh, see Romans twelve nineteen, I think of Rick, and he knows exactly what I'm talking about. That's actually another one of those stories that I mentioned this morning uh, that happened at church camp. That one could probably be shared, but I'll let Rick share that story with you because that's, you know, that's more of a Rick story. But uh, let's just say that Rick had a very convincing way of teaching somebody to learn and memorize that verse, um, but, and kind of put the fear, and God, fear of God in somebody. So, uh, but that's, that's what I think about whenever I read that verse or hear that verse read. Um, but looking into our notes, it says, when we decide to walk with and for Christ, we will have enemies in this world. We don't look for them or try and make them. Living as a living sacrifice in a sinful world will bring opposition. So right there, what were we talking about earlier with John MacArthur and his church? They didn't do anything. They weren't trying to go out and make enemies Somebody came along and said that they can't meet here. Now, they might think that they're 
purpose and the reason that they're saying that they can't meet together is a noble purpose. They're trying to protect the health of people. But really, you know, they're saying you cannot meet together as a church. You can't worship together. Um, And at least here with all the different orders that we've had, the churches were still exempt under that. We were still able to meet um, in certain uh, during that time. But that's what this is talking about here, right? When we see uh, how we're going to have enemies if we're followers of Christ. Jesus told the disciples, because you're followers of me, you will be persecuted. Which, when you read those things, it, it really kind of frustrates me and makes me wonder, how can somebody uh, come up with what we refer to as the prosperity gospel? Where if I'm a follower of Christ, I put my faith and trust in him. I'm going to have everything that I always need. I'm never going to have anything bad happen to me. Things are always going to be great. That's not the case. Jesus said, because you're a follower of me, you're going to be persecuted. Yeah, exactly. 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 Yeah. Well, and that's Mm-hmm. And that's why it's so important for us on our own to spend time in the Word so that we know what it says, so that when we hear somebody saying that, we say, okay, that's not matching up with them with what I'm reading here. Okay, so if we, we first of all, we need to understand uh, that because we're followers of Christ, we're going to have enemies, okay? If we understand that, now we can then move on to this idea of what our relationship to our enemies might be. Because somebody who... who uh, goes with that line of thinking, they, um, you know, they subscribe to that teaching, they might think, well, why would I have enemies, right? Why do I need to worry about my relationship with my enemies? Because why should I have enemies? I'm a follower of Jesus. Nothing bad's ever going to happen to me. Um, but we need to understand that aspect, that we're living in a sinful world, and we're living as a sacrifice for Jesus, for what he came and taught. And because of that, we're going to have opposition because this is a sinful world. So um, he says here that uh, there, this one author says, Unfortunately, some believers have enemies because they lack love and patience and not because they are faithful in their witness. There's a difference between sharing in the offense of the cross and being an offensive Christian. Now, that, I think, is a really important um, thing to think about, especially in the age of social media, because uh, so many times... Uh, and it might start out innocent. You know, somebody might be sharing. Maybe somebody who's not a follower of Christ, they post something. And then somebody that you know who is a follower of Christ posts something in, in response. And maybe they're sharing a verse. And this person comes back. And then slowly, as it goes back and forth, it gets heated. And now it's difficult to tell which one is the Christian or not because it seems that there's being hate being spewed in both directions. And so it's important to understand the difference there uh, in sharing in the offense of the cross, like what you were saying, Julie, how we don't like to see things that say that we're doing wrong or that we're going to face opposition. Nobody likes to hear that they need to stop doing something that they enjoy doing. We know that sin is pleasurable, but we know that there's a consequence of sin, and it's only pleasurable for a season. So the reason that we uh, buck against that is we don't like hearing or being told that we're doing something wrong. 
And we don't like being told that we have to stop doing that and start doing something else. Uh, and so that's what the offense of the cross is. We're, if we're just sharing what the truth of the Bible says and the person's offended by that, that's the, the Bible and the Holy Spirit trying to, convicting their heart. But if we are in thinking that we're sharing the truth of the Bible and we're being hateful towards that person, that's a completely different aspect. We're no longer sharing in the offense of the cross. We're being offensive as we share the gospel. Exactly. And... and uh, like I was saying with the social media, it, you might start out with good intentions and innocent, but it slowly ramps up, and maybe somebody says something or posts something that it, uh, pushes a button, you know, hits a soft spot, and then, you know, all bets are off and things get way out of hand. And, you know, I've seen plenty of times where even a Christian posts something, and it's just supposed to be like they're just posting in justice, you know, just to, to have a laugh. And then somebody who also is a Christian, th that's the most frustrating thing to me. When I see, you know, a list of comments, you, a post and then a bunch of comments, and everybody that I know proclaims to be a Christian, and it just seems like they're all just, you know, slinging hate left and right. What about the people in their friends list who aren't followers of Christ? They're looking and seeing that saying, I don't want to be a, any part of that craziness. So, that's the kind of witness that we're being if, like I said, you start off innocent, but then slowly it escalates. And then next thing you know, you probably don't even remember what the original debate or argument was about. You know, it's like when you're younger and arguing with your siblings. By the time you're done and everybody's screaming and yelling, you're not even on the original topic and you don't even remember what the original topic was. You just know I'm angry at them and I don't want to stop being angry at them. So there's a couple passages there, or, I mean, a couple verses there uh, listed in Galatians. So we can go ahead and turn there real quick, and I'll just read those. Just as, there's just a handful there. So Galatians chapter 5, verse 11. Galatians 5, verse 11 says, And I, brethren, if I yet preach circumcision, why do I yet suffer persecution? Then is the offense of the cross ceased. And then jump real quick over to chapter 6, verses 12 through 15. It says, And uh, as many as desire to make a fair show in the flesh, they constrain you to be, con to be circumcised, only lest they should suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. For neither they themselves, who are circumcised, keep the law, but desire to have you circumcised, that they may glory in your flesh. But God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me, and I unto the world." <clears throat> For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creature. So basically what it's really boiling down to is there is an issue between the Jews and the Gentiles where the Jews were trying to say that the Gentiles, if they're going to be followers of Christ, that they also need to be circumcised like the Jews. The circumcision, that was something of the Jews' tradition. It has nothing to do with uh, being saved. You read through the gospel and, you know, we go through the Romans road. We've talked about that while, as we've been going through this study of Romans, how you can go through the Romans road and it clearly lays out the gospel. And none of the verses in the Romans road say that circumcision is also uh, a prerequisite for salvation. And what the Jews were really doing was they were trying to, they were basically adding to what the gospel is. This is something that we've done traditionally and you need to do it as well. Okay, again, that has nothing to do with the gospel. And we were just talking about how Christians show hate towards other Christians. And 
we see that plenty of times with just people who are brought up in the church differently, in a different kind of church, uh, maybe more traditional church for, versus a more contemporary church. And we'll sit and argue with each other and nitpick at different things that aren't even mentioned here in the Bible. It's just things that really just come down to preference. And our preferences are fine. It's fine to have your own preference as long as that preference doesn't go against what the Bible says. And so in the same idea, when we're uh, sharing the gospel with people who aren't Christians and we're sharing that with them, we need to make sure that we are sharing just what the gospel says, but also sharing it in love and not saying, you're a horrible person. You need to have this. You need to accept this because you've done this, this, and this. Now that person's upset at you because you're being a jerk to them, really. And they're not upset because they're feeling the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And really what that's going to do is it's going to have the complete opposite effect of what you're trying to do. That's going to drive them further away from the Bible and the church and really anybody that they know as Christians. And I think what's most important for us to understand in that is it doesn't just affect our witness with that person. Right? I can be a total jerk to somebody when I'm trying to share the gospel with them, and that makes them not want to talk to me anymore. But then if somebody else who's a Christian comes up and talks to them and says, hey, can I tell you about the Bible, they, they immediately think back to their interaction with me and say, no, I don't want to have to any, anything to do with that. So we're not only hurting our own witness, but we're hurting a fellow Christian's witness down the road when they get to come in contact with that person. So this means that we simply do not return evil for evil, but return good for evil. And we see that uh, in, in chapter 12, towards the end there, uh, it says, Avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Have you ever heard the phrase, killing somebody with kindness? That's kind of, you know, that's kind of what this is talking about. If, if they're hungry, give them food. If, they, if they're thirsty, give them something to drink. You're not going to return. Just because they did something bad to you doesn't mean that you have the right to do something bad to them. Again, that goes back to the whole sibling arguments, right? Your sibling tattles on you for doing something, and your parent says, why did you do this? Well, he or she did this to me. So what? This was wrong that they did to you. You did something wrong to them. You know, the whole idea of two, two wrongs don't make a right. Uh, but that's really what this is talking about, right? Uh, if he's hungry, feed him. If he thirsts, give him drink. So as we're doing this, make sure that we're turning good for evil. If this person shows hate towards us, you know, show them love even more so. And honestly, in the moment, that's probably going to frustrate them like crazy. Because like I said before, when you're arguing with someone and you forgot what you're arguing about, for whatever reason, we want to hold on to that anger. And I'm, I'm really mad at you. And you're starting to kind of get over it. But for whatever reason, we don't want to let go of that anger. I still want to be angry at you and still want to be mad at you. And so if somebody's, you know, giving you evil and you return good for that, that's going to be really frustrating for them because they're like, it's, why isn't it bothering them as much as it's bothering me? And so it's going to be frustrating for them in the moment, but th that's going to stay in their mind. They're not going to forget that you were nice to them even though they were mean to you. So that's going to stick with them in their mind. They're going to remember back to that, and they're going to remember that even when it made no sense for me to show love to them, I showed love to them. So uh, how do we do that, though? How do we show good for evil or return good for evil? It says here that it's the overflow of concentrated and humbled life. So what does that mean? What do you think that means? It's the overflow of a concentrated and humble life.
Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, so the overflow of our consecrated and humbled life, like you said, I'm not my own. So when they, you know, spew hatred at me, I'm not going to take offense to that because why am I even engaging with this person and sharing love with them anyway? Because that's what I've been called to do. I've received that love. I want to share it with them. And that love was shared with me even when I was in my worst state. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't wait for us to get to a certain level, and now we're able to accept salvation. We didn't have to cut certain sins out of our lives before we can then accept that gift. It was a free gift. No matter where we were in our life, we were able to accept it. So why should I do anything different when I'm sharing it with somebody else? If I'm sharing the the love of Christ with them, and they start attacking me, there's no reason for me to really show any anger or hatred towards them. I'm just supposed to be sharing the love of Christ with them. And if I'm truly filled with the love of Christ and wanting to genuinely share that with them, then it really shouldn't hurt my feelings. It's because I should recognize I know what I'm doing is right. You might be angry and upset with me, but I know that I'm doing what I've been called to do by sharing the gospel with this person. And Exactly. Well, especially I like the idea of the humbled life because when somebody, if I'm sharing the gospel with somebody and they get angry at me and they spew hatred at me and I get offended, I get hurt and I want to spew hatred back at them, that's really because I've allowed myself, like that's hurt my pride. And so I'm taking a hit in my pride because this person's being mean to me. But if I'm truly submitted as a sacrifice and I'm truly humbled to live a life for Christ, that's not going to bother me because Again, that's probably coming from a place of conviction. If I'm, if I'm legitimately just sharing the truth of the word and I'm not being mean when I'm doing it and being an offensive Christian, then if they're giving any kind of anger towards me, it's probably out of a place of conviction because they're hearing the truth. Like we don't want to hear uh, that we've done something wrong or we don't want to hear that we're going to have enemies. So again, this doesn't mean we don't speak truth in love, of course, but when evil is still done, we do not take revenge, but trust in the sovereignty of God and know he is the only judge. So that's important on two fronts. One, based on just what it says alone, God's going to take care of that. I don't, what good does it serve if I try and get back at that person? Like we said before, it really, if anything, it's only going to hurt my witness and somebody else's witness. But if we understand that and we accept that idea, that even if this person is being mean to me and understand that God's going to take care of that, that's also us acknowledging that I don't play a role in saving this person either. 
That's all the Holy Spirit. I'm just called to share what the gospel is, and then I allow God to take over, whether that means them accepting what the, the gospel means or whether that means them, you know, just being completely rude and, you know, spewing hatred at me. God's in control. He's going to be the one that's over that entire situation. So, again, and he's the only judge because I can, I can say whatever I want or do whatever I want to that person, but that's not going to have any effect on their eternity after they die, Okay. So, looking again real quick in verse 20 of Romans 12, says Paul's admonition. Verse 20 says, Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. So, looking just at uh, verse 20, uh, it says, This reminds us of Christ's words in Matthew chapter 5, verses 44 through 48. Um, I'm going to read that real quick for us. Matthew chapter 5. Go ahead and turn there if you'd like. Okay, Matthew chapter 5, verses 44 through 48 says, But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you. And persecute you, that ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For he maketh his son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. For if ye love them which love you, what reward have ye? Do ye do not even the publicans the same? And if ye salute your brethren only, what do ye more than others? Do not even the publicans do. Do not even the publicans so. Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven perfect. Now, as we read that, we know that our own human bodies, like our own human capabilities, we can't be perfect. But it says, as your Father in heaven. So it's, this is his way of saying, allow the Spirit to work through you as you're doing these things, as you're showing love. And it says there, uh, I think for me, actually I'll ask first, what do you think out of those things, what he's saying to do to your enemies, what do you think is probably the hardest thing to do? I know what it is for me. It might be something different for you. That, that's what it would be for me, is to pray for them. Because when I'm in front of somebody, we all know that even as Christians, and, and we might have fallen in this category before, or we know somebody uh, that we've known from our past, where when they came to church, or when they were around other Christians, they put on a mask, right? They, act, they knew how they needed to act. And so sometimes when I'm around somebody who's showing hatred towards me, I know how I'm supposed to react to that. I know how I'm supposed to uh, act around people like that, especially if I'm around other Christians that see me interacting with that person. Um, I know what I'm supposed to do. But when it's just me alone and it's just me and God in that privacy of that time of prayer, nobody else knows my feeling towards that person except for me and God. So for me to actually sit there and, and consciously think about that person who has been nothing but mean or rude to me, somebody who can uh, really be labeled as an enemy, to think about that person in a loving way and to pray for that person, that's a really difficult thing to actually do because that's the most private thing. It's, it's much easier to go out and pretend to be the person, you know, who is nice to people. Uh, one thing that I think... Most teenagers will say, but don't actually think this way, is I don't care what other people think. But we all do. And the irony in that statement 
is I'm saying that to you so that you think, you know, nothing really bothers me. So in saying that to you, I'm really kind of trying to prove to, yeah, I'm trying to convince you that I don't feel that way. And so if I'm trying to convince you to think something about me, then I definitely care about what you think about me. So uh, like you said, we all do that. We all care about what others think about us. And so that's why it's easier for us to act it out in front of somebody. It, not saying it's easy. It could still be difficult. And I know for me especially, sometimes sarcasm will creep into it. Um, and that's where passive aggressive comes out. But again, the hardest part is when we're alone with God in prayer and we're able to remember that person. But I, I know for my own life, when I have been able to do that, when I have been able to legitimately go to God with that person in mind and pray for that person, there's such a burden that's lifted off you. Because if you're, if you're not willing to do that, you're holding on to something, whether it's hatred or a grudge for something that they did. You don't want to forgive them. But if you're willing to go to God and pray for somebody who's done harm to you or that you've combated with for so long, that really t- lifts a burden off of you because you, you don't have to hold on to that anymore. You're giving it away. You're giving it to God. Yeah. Well, and we can't expect that just because we said a quick prayer that that feeling that maybe for a moment, but you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Some being insulted or someone rude to you, that's yeah. Me. But I'm talking a deep violation, deep wound mm-hmm. that it's going to take time for the father to heal. Well, and you said uh, it might take some time for that to happen, and we might even think that we're over it, like. I'm past it. And then something happens and all of a sudden a thought comes up. You're like, whoa, I guess I, you know, I guess I'm not over that. Yeah. And what you said that I think was really important was you said, uh, the reason why I need to do this is because if I don't, it's going to hurt my relationship with him. And the reason why that's important is now that means we're starting to value our relationship with God over our own pride. So you had something? 
Like you said, that person never actually really did anything to you. And based on that, they probably don't even necessarily know that there's, you know, some kind of tension there. Yeah. yeah. Funny thing is, God does the same thing on their side. Mm-hmm. So it says here that Paul refers to Proverbs 25, verses 21 through 22, when he says coals of fire. So I'm going to turn real quick to that uh, to see what it is that he's referencing exactly um, so that we can get maybe a better idea of what he's talking about here. So Proverbs 25, verses 21 through 22 says, If thine enemy be hungry, give him bread to eat, and if he be thirsty, give him water to drink. For thou shalt heap coals of fire upon his head, and the Lord shall reward thee. It's almost word for word the exact same thing, right? So what's going on here? Well, as you go through this chapter, and we're trying to understand what's going on here, really this chapter is talking about relationships with others. And uh, leading up to this, he's talking about our relationship with neighbors, so people that we're on good terms with. And then right here, he's talking about relationships with enemies. And What's really cool about this, because if you go through, you know, it's talking about people in authority, our neighbors, even then it goes on with even yourself. Talking about the kind of relationship that we should have with these different people. Um, I think a lot of times we have a good idea of how we feel about those in authority of us, whether it's in a job or uh, whether it's government-wise. And we, ha- we know how we feel uh, about and how we should interact with neighbors, Okay, and we, maybe we have a good idea about how we should interact with ourselves, but the one relationship or interaction that I think we probably neglect the most is with enemies because there are enemies. And so if, if, I'm, if I am interacting with them to uh, show love to them or uh, t- going back to Romans, sharing the gospel with them, if I'm inter- interacting with them in that way, then I'm interacting with them. Like you were talking about that person that, rubbed you the wrong way. Again, they, they might not have done anything to you, but because, you know, there's something that, that, you know, they really kind of rubbed you the wrong way, you probably tried to avoid situations with that person. 
And so we're the same way with any of our enemies. We don't want to uh, interact with them at all. We, we think it's probably best to just avoid interactions with that person at all. And we might think that because, well, I don't want any conflict. So we might think, well, I'm doing the right thing because I'm avoiding conflict. It's good to avoid conflict, but I also shouldn't be avoiding this person. We're supposed to love everybody with, with the love of Christ. And so when we start doing that, and I think when we do that, talking about avoiding conflict, we're really trying to convince ourselves that I'm doing what's right because I'm try- I don't want to get something started with that person. But really, that's probably the person that we need to interact with the most. Because like you said, you, you found out that it was something in your own heart. So if I'm avoiding any time with that person just to avoid conflict, maybe I need to interact with that person, uh, squash whatever that beef with them is, and, and do that from a perspective of what God has for us in the Bible and how he would want me to handle that so that he can work on my own heart. So, and also, again, so we're able to uh, be better followers of Christ and sharing the gospel. So... Uh, the conclusion here, in this chapter, we discovered that the way I live this Christian life matters. First, a living sacrifice, humble before God. Then, willing to love other believers and my, even my enemies. They may not be converted, but we have experienced the love of God in our hearts and grown in grace. So what's really kind of cool is kind of like what we talked a little bit about this morning uh, when it says, first, a living sacrifice, humble before God. First, I need to make sure that I and where I need to be spiritually. And when we were talking about it this morning, we were talking more so in, uh, I, I need to make sure that in my ministry or in my witnessing to others, that I'm not so focused on that, that I'm neglecting my own walk with Christ. Because sometimes we can uh, get ourselves so invested in this ministry that he's called us to, uh, or so invested in witnessing this one person that before we know it, we've drifted ourselves away from God because we're not um, making sure we're growing closer to God. So, but here it's, it's more in the line of dealing with other believers and dealing with our enemies. So first, we need to make sure that we're living sacrifice, humble before God. And that's important because, like what we talked about before, if I'm going to be able to interact and have a conversation with my enemies and they're going to throw hatred my way, I need to be completely sub- submitted to God. I need to be humbled before him. That way I don't take that personally, allow it to hurt my pride, and then jump back at them with, with hatred. I need to make sure that I'm showing them love no matter what. And it's important to remember, they may not be converted. So if we're talking about specifically those that are unbelievers, they may not be converted, but we have experienced the love of God in our own hearts and grown in grace. So just like we said, uh, maybe I need to talk to that person that I don't really want to talk to so that God can do something in my heart. And what's great about that realization is it's just one of the instances of how so many times in our lives we think we... know how things are going to go. We think we know how uh, certain things are going to play out or why certain things are happening to us the way they're happening. And then we finally give in to God and say, okay, God, I'll do what you want me to do in this situation. And then we do that and we see how he works and we say, oh, you allowed this to happen or uh, you had me go talk with this person so that this could happen over here. And it's, it's just another great reminder for us. It's a humbling reminder to realize I really have no idea what's going on and my plans are not important at all unless my plans are in line with God's plans. So, yeah. What you just said, um, when I was reading this uh, yesterday or day before, um, because we don't understand, like you said, we have no idea, no control, but where um, Jesus healed, there was two situations back to back where I was reading. 
In, in those instances, well, the, the one with the blind man, the disciples, their thought was, he has to be like this because somebody said, was it him or was it his parents? There's no other reason for him to have been like this. And Jesus says, well, no, it's because of this. It's, it's so that God can, can be glorified because they were thinking about it with their human minds. And same thing with Lazarus, right? Jesus got there. In their minds, they thought they got, that he got there late. He was late. Why, why weren't you here sooner? And they were all worried and, and, and fretting, but he knew the whole time what was going to happen. And that idea of us not being in control, at, on the surface, it sounds scary, especially if you're you know, more of a type A personality and like to be in control of things. But when you really think about it, it's more so freeing that we're not in control because if you're somebody who likes to be in control, like type A, and, and you, you, you want to make sure you know what's always going on, that can really kind of be more stressful than anything. And, you know, you get stressed out about making sure everything's just the way it is. And so, like I said, at first it sounds, you know, bad that we don't have control, but he's in control. But really it's freeing because we don't have to be burdened with that. We don't have to, to stress about that. We just need to understand that he's in control. He knows what's going on. So does anybody else have any other comments or questions about anything else in the chapter? Mm-hmm. And sometimes we don't even realize the way that we feel certain ways is because we want to be in control. Like we might say, well, I don't want to be in control. I just want to know what's going to happen. Well, that's because we want to be in control. We want to be able to have our hand in every little aspect. Exactly. Well, and then... I want to know what's going to happen. That way I can plan in how to respond to that. And so, again, that's just another area of being in control. And so, like I said, it can be freeing, especially if you're, you know, more of a controlling kind of person or like to know what's going on. Um, 
if, if you're that kind of person, it's especially freeing to legitimately give that over to him and understand that he's in control. Anybody else? No? All right, well, let's go ahead and pray, and uh, we'll be free to discuss or head on home, whatever it is that you have going on. But let's go ahead and pray, and uh, we'll finish up. Dear God, I thank you for tonight. Once again, I thank you for bringing us here together in the group that we have and uh, just for allowing us to be able to go into your word and be able to find a word of encouragement. And I'm sure uh, we can all take what we looked at here tonight and we can all think of an area in our life where we can apply it, whether it's, it's wanting to give up control to you, whether it's wanting to let go of a grudge with an enemy, whether it's uh, Maybe we just didn't, we don't want to talk to somebody who's an enemy. We do, we've been avoiding them at all costs. I just pray that whatever it is that we, we look to you, that we give you the control, that we uh, yield to you and your powers and your abilities, that we would, uh, if, if there is a person we don't want to talk to, that we just give that to you, that you would give us the courage and the words uh, and the love to show that person. Uh, whatever it is that, that, wherever it is that we find ourselves at, I just pray that we, again, look to you, give ourselves as a living sacrifice, fully submitted to you and fully humbled before you so that we can go out and be the best possible followers of Christ that we can and to be able to take the the gospel to the world around us. So again, I pray that you'd be with us tonight. Keep us safe as we all travel our separate ways and just allow us as we go throughout our week to point others uh, toward you, not towards ourselves, not bring the attention on 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 ourselves, but that we would point the attention to you so that you will receive the glory. Pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.